we're going to hit... Am I on? No? Yes? Yes? Maybe? Cool. Awesome. Um, we're going to hit the ground running this morning. Um, we're going to be in Acts 17, where we've been with Paul. He's there in Athens, Greece. And if you've been with us, you know a lot about um, the background of all that's taken place. And so we're really just going to try to jump into it. And what, what we're going to see is, is that Paul makes four guarantees, or I think four things that maybe kind of illuminate up out of the text, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ... Um, it affirms, it brings about. And so uh, this morning, are we good on the mic? Is it good? Everybody can hear right? Okay, cool. All right, just want to make sure. All right, so let's just get to it. Um, again, the context, so a little bit of understanding where we are, where we're headed. He says in verse 26 of Acts 17, And he made from one man, speaking of God, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him. Last week we talked about that groping for God. And they actually would find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. So Paul says, listen, you guys live in a culture, you know about how even your own poets are talking about that we're God's offspring. And so maybe you've heard that. Even in secular music, oftentimes we hear songs about, hey, listen, they're talking about God, and they're talking about God maybe in terms that don't fit what the Bible says, but people are after God. We see it with our athletes, right? I mean, Paul might stand in our, our culture and say, Hey, listen, you guys know about God. You see it every time somebody scores a touchdown or when a guy walks across after a home plate and hits a home run and points up or whatever. Or you see somebody in, in a post-game interview and they give glory to God. You guys know about it. So Paul speaks their vernacular and says, hey, listen, you guys know about God. But look what he says to them. He says, listen, guys, we are actually God's offspring. And he says, but we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and imagination of man. What Paul says is this. He says, listen, I want you to know this God, he's, he's a divine being. And he says, listen, guys, I don't want you to think about him in your own imagination. He says, the temptation is there that you want to create God as who you want him to be or who you think he should be and, or who fits best for your life. But Paul says, listen, that's not God at all. He says, I want you to know that this divine being is unlike anything or anyone else. In fact, he says, because you're made in God's image, you ought to understand who God is. He's, he says, you reflect Him. You have a mind. You have an emotion. You have a will. Um, he said, these things are reflective of God. All right? He's not saying that, look, God's just painted a picture and you look like Him physically. He's saying, inside, you have a soul. You are a spiritual being. He said, many of these things, he said, they reflect who God is. So he says, listen, you can't form some statue to put it on your shelf and say, that's God. He said, because God is a living being. He says, don't think of Him in according to your own imagination. And so Paul has said a lot of great things about God, right? That God is so great that he took from one person, he made all people. He says God is so great that he, he decided the nations, when they would rise and when they would fall. He told the nations, hey nations, listen, you can come this far, but that's the end of your reign. Your time is done. That's the boundary marker. You can't extend any further than that. And it's like, hey Paul, as if Paul maybe reads their minds, if this God's so great, then why is there so much evil? You ever wonder that? Like if God's so big and so great, like if He can do all those things, then why doesn't He just stop evil? Why doesn't He end hunger? Why doesn't He end rape? Why doesn't He end AIDS? Why doesn't He end people killing child abuse? I mean, what? if God is so great and so big, why isn't He doing anything about it? And Paul is going to tell you and I, in fact, God has and He will. And it's anchored in the death of Jesus Christ and His burial and His glorious resurrection. 
So when you wonder what's God going to do about evil, why is there so much evil and so many bad things in the world, Paul would say look to the cross and to the empty tomb and know that God one day is going to make all things right. So let's look for just for a moment. Verse 30 and 31 is really where we're going to hit today. And I want you just to hear it and then we're going to kind of work through it. He says, listen, guys, so this kind of, again, he, he answers their question. Uh, he's assuming they're maybe asking. The times of ignorance God overlooked, right? The question of why is God overlooking all this? Why is he letting all this happen to be so great? He says, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And here's the statement. And of this he has given assurance. All right, so see that statement there. He's given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we're going to pull off the end of verse 31 and kind of work backward in Paul's argument. Okay, so that's the Paul's baseline to say, listen, I want you to understand what, why I'm saying and why I'm saying it. It's because of the resurrection of Christ. But here's some things that the resurrection guarantees. So first this. The resurrection guarantees that a new age has begun. Look with me if you would. Back in verse 30 of Acts chapter 17. He says, look what he says. The times of ignorance God overlooked. See that statement. Um, The New International, others, literally, they're going to read there. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. He's saying, listen, Paul says, listen, guys, I want you to know that there was a time in which God overlooked things. You say, Blake, what's that mean that God overlooked things? That doesn't make sense. Well, it's kind of a complex statement, but Paul is telling us, hey, listen, there was a time like when God, according to Acts 14, 16, says that he let nations go their own way. In fact, there was a time when God was represented only basically through the nation of Israel, right? I mean, there was a general revelation, Paul says in Romans 1, of of creation that says there's a God. But literally, the Israelites were God's chosen people. And they had the law, and it was their responsibility, according to the prophets, to be a light to the nations. But guess what? They didn't do a very good job of telling other people about God and His His Word. And In fact, he said their lives often didn't reflect that. And so God says, listen, there's going to come a day when I'm going to remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to put my spirit in you that you may live and honor me and say no to unrighteousness and yes to Christ and the goodness of God. And Paul's saying that time has come. And you want to know why that time came? He says because Christ came, he was buried or crucified, buried and raised again. Paul says that sounds off to us that there is something new. In fact, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, he say, why is the resurrection such a big deal, Blake? Why are we here this morning? What, why is everybody so stoked about that? Or what? maybe I'm not, but why should I be? Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. It's hopeless. And you're still in your sins. You see, that was the darkness. From Friday afternoon when Christ was crucified and He died somewhere around 3 p.m. until Sunday morning when the sun would rise and the light would shine. There were those men on the road to Emmaus who don't realize they're talking to Jesus, but they make that statement there in Luke chapter 24. We had hoped that He was the one. All hope is gone. But Paul says, listen, if Christ was simply crucified on the cross and buried... There is no hope. He says, your faith is futile. You're worshiping a dead person. But he says, in fact, Christ has been raised. He has redeemed your sins. He has paid the penalty. And so that's the good news of the gospel. There is a new age that's began. The second thing. Yeah, we're going to run kind of fast today. The resurrection guarantees this. Repentance will be accepted. Look with me, you would. Back again, verse 30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now. But now He commands all people everywhere 
to repent. Repentance is this word indicating a change of mind. It's saying, listen, my path or trajectory in life is wrong and God's is right. It's an acknowledgement that I can't live and do what God's called me to do according to His Word. I can't live this book. Like, I can't live perfectly. I can't follow this. Guess what? God's not surprised by that. He knows that no one can. That's why He sent His Son to die for you. Because you and I have always wanted to go our own way. We've always wanted to reject Christ on the cross. But God in His love says, listen, guys, that time of ignorance God overlooked. It's time. The light has dawned, He says. The new age has begun. There is a new birth that is happening. There is a new creation for those that are in Christ. There is something that's transforming. Not simply just that you might have outward rules. This is God's Word written on your heart. That He comes to indwell you. That you would actually want to do what the Bible says. And He says, listen, guys. This right here is kind of pretty direct. He commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere, guess what that includes? You and me. And anybody else that you meet. And maybe you're here and you'd say, so why does Paul say repentance? Right? I mean, like, let's be honest. We live in a culture in which it says basically all roads lead home. Right? Like kind of the Disney mantra. All dogs go to heaven. We assume all people go to heaven. Go to a funeral. That's usually what it is. I mean, it doesn't matter really what connection they have to Christ. That's where everybody automatically assumes that's where you end up. And if that's the case, then Paul would say to you and I in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, if you could be a good enough person and get into heaven, he says Christ died for nothing. So why is Paul saying this? I mean, Paul, hey, listen, if, if there's ultimately everybody makes it to heaven, then why use that word repentance to indicate there's some need of change? Right? I mean, that kind of puts a damper on the party. I mean, that kind of throws some, some water on the fire. I mean, I mean, if God's not going to welcome us all in, look what Paul said. He says, listen, guys, but now, but now the time of ignorance has passed. Christ has come. You can be restored to God. How? Through Christ. Christ alone, Romans 5 and 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means you've been declared not guilty. He says, we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want peace with God? Do you want to no longer be at odds with God? Do you no longer want to live your life fearing what's going to happen when you die? The Bible says that if that's the case, then you must look and come to Christ. There's only one way to satisfy God's judgment or anger toward your and my sin. And I'm going to put that out there. If people don't think God's upset that we're sinning, He is. He is. And you're going to see that in just a moment, how serious God is about that. So, some of you are here and you say, Blake, I think you're making a big deal out of my sin. Well, maybe this image might help you a little bit. That's, that's my little two-year-old. Um, and I don't know if you can see it very well, but this, this is uh, its a copy of God's Word. It's a Bible, and it's really special to me because that's my dad's Bible. Um, and so I walked out of my office. Emily was in Haiti, and I had the boys hanging out with me, and they were there. And so I walked out of the office just for a few moments, come back in, and guess what I find? Right? I don't know if you can see it, but there's, there's scribble marks all in the Bible there. Orange marker, permanent marker, right? It's kind of hanging out right there, and um, it's uncapped. And then this little guy's got his hands up, okay? And the reason why he's got his hands up is because I kind of put the evidence there near him. But I asked him a serious question. You can kind of see the other image here. You can kind of see it's kind of zoomed in a little bit on his hands. But I asked him a question that you're probably starting to assume. And I said, hey, listen, I see that like somebody like colored in the Bible. And I just, I wanted to know, did that happen to be you? 
What do you think his answer was? No. No, Daddy! It wasn't me! I mean, I've got all these, these marks all over my arms, and some were like, uh, even up by his ears. He's like, you know, listen, I don't know who's been messing with that. I mean, if I see him come around, I'll tell you. But I mean, listen, do you not think how crazy that was for me as a father? Like, for real, dude? And do we not do the same thing with God? We act like today we're not dirty. We act like today our sin's not that big a deal. It's like, ah, it's all right. We act like maybe we can pull one over on God, like maybe He didn't see or maybe He doesn't know. It's just God sees your heart. He says there's going to come a day when He will judge you and I. And it says He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and He will expose the motives of men and women's hearts. Your cardia ripped open. God looking right into your inward being. So the resurrection tells us, guys, that repentance is needed, but praise God, it is accepted. And you say, how do I know that? Well, look what Paul says here. This is maybe the third thing I would throw out at you is this. The resurrection guarantees that there will be a righteous judgment. The resurrection of Christ guarantees, according to Paul's words here in Acts 17, that there is going to be a righteous judgment. So look at this for a moment, if you would. Again, remember, verse 30 says, The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a pretty inclusive statement. Because, alright, so anytime if you're trying to interpret and understand, some of these words are just key, they help you understand. Because, alright, so Paul's saying, listen, I want you to know why God's calling everybody to repent. Why is God calling everyone to look to Christ? Why is God doing this, Paul? Look what he says, because God has actually fixed the day in which He's going to judge you and I says the world in righteousness. Paul says, listen guys, I want you to know that there's coming a day in which God is going to judge the world in righteousness. Jesus himself said in John 5, verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming. Look at that. He says, not might. He says, it is coming when all who are in the tombs, Paul, or Jesus says, everybody that's dead, they're going to hear his voice. And look what he says. They're going to come out. All right. So some of you love like the waking of the dead, the walking of the dead. You love all those stuff. It's actually going to happen. They're going to come back up. Look what he says. There's going to come a day. But it's when Jesus' voice speaks. And look what he says. It's going to happen there. Those who have done good will come to the resurrection of what? Life. But those who have done evil will come to a resurrection of what? Judgment. He says nobody's escaping it. This is all people everywhere for all time. They're going to be raised up. Paul is saying, listen, I want you to know there's coming a fixed day when God is going to judge the world. I want you to know that there's a pardon, that you don't have to face that day unaware or unprepared. You don't have to face that day. You can know that, listen, you say, Blake, what good thing must I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the good thing that God will always accept and honor. It is the blood of His Son for you. That's the one thing that God will accept on that day. Nothing other than the blood of Christ will ever satisfy God's judgment, His anger, His sin. You say, Blake, why do you say this? Discouraging. I've got a couple of images here. I looked for credit, but I never could find um, anyone that was crediting where this was the original source. So if you know that person, let me know and I'll do my best to acknowledge their word. It was discouraging. 
In John chapter 19, verse 1, it's Friday. And Friday before Jesus is crucified, Pilate gives the command to hate this man and have him scourged. The Romans were perfectors of this. They would take it with that wooden handle and the leather thongs with the pieces of metal or metal balls or even pieces of small bone and they would begin to whoosh, whoosh. It was brutal. But not only was it brutal, I know you maybe have seen a movie, but it was actually humiliating because Jesus is actually not there in any kind of loincloth, guys. I know that's all we see on TV and uh, I get it. He's naked. His mom's there. Can you imagine that as a grown man or a grown woman? Can you imagine having to be exposed in front of all your followers, all these people? This is God naked! Why? Not only is He naked, according to Matthew chapter 27, verse 28 and 30, He is being mocked. They've given Him a crown, but it's not a crown that we would, as a king would want. It's a crown of what? And they put a robe on him, and it's a purple robe, it's, but it's mocking his majesty. And they've given him a scepter, a king's scepter, but in fact they remove it from his head and begin to beat him with it. Spitting in his face, plucking out his beard, smacking him. Prophesy, Christ, who struck you? There's Christ. Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, Understand the Death of Jesus, says that it's beyond imagination what we can ever understand about the crucifixion, the scourging, any of that. She says we've basically fantasized it in our culture. She says it's basically the equivalent of us, instead of wearing crosses around our neck, wearing around an electric chair. Can you imagine anyone doing that? The, 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 the insanity of that. She says, listen, we have tamed the cross and what would be happening here. She says, we don't know how bad Jesus was beaten, but three things may clue us in. One would be his physical um, strength prior to this. Secondly, how enthusiastic the lictors would have been as they would have been striking him. And then third, how much blood he would have lost. We don't know the answers to this, but we are clued in to Luke chapter 22, verse 26, when Jesus is coming carrying that crossbar and he no longer can. And they call a man by the name of who out of the crowd? Do you remember? Simon of Cyrene to come and carry the cross because undoubtedly Jesus is being beaten to a place. You say, Blake, why are you sharing this? Let's go further. It brings us to the cross. Most likely, there's some disagreement, but Jesus would have just been carrying this part here, this horizontal bar, but the vertical beam would have been there standing at all times and He would have stood and faced it. They would have thrown Him to the ground where His back would have been exposed there, dirt and other things in it, and they would have placed His hands out and began to drive the nails through His wrist. Right? We began to study. Historians have told us if we would have drove it through His hands, the human body could not support it. It would have literally ripped it out of His hands. Instead, they drive it through his wrist. After this, they would have raised Christ and put him on the cross and drove the stakes through his feet. Stay with me if you're wondering why all of this. And then would have come to the place that you and I have taken for granted here this morning. Breathing. My guess is that no one here this morning has been telling yourself, breathe. Inhale. Exhale. You haven't. But that doesn't take the place on the cross. Because on the cross, as Jesus is there, there's something very difficult about breathing. To breathe, He has to do one of two things, or maybe both at the same time. One is, is to push up on His feet, which would obviously cause excruciating pain. I don't know if you know it, but the Latin phrase for excruciating means literally out of the cross. When I learned that, I said, God never let me use that word about anything I endure ever again. 
to breathe, Jesus would also have to pull on his arms and raise himself up again, the nails driving there, and also his backside that's been ripped open undoubtedly, now up and down on this old rugged cross. And thus it's amazing that Jesus would even use his breath to speak. Have you noticed that? When you speak, you exhale, right? So when Jesus speaks from the cross those seven times, he is experiencing excruciating pain and he's very intentional in speaking. You're here again and maybe you're wondering, Blake, why in the world are you sharing this? Because I think the question comes about this. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Acts chapter 3, Peter says, men of Israel, he speaks to the nation of Israel itself, he says, you guys kill the author of life. In John chapter 19, we have Pilate who gives the order, hands him over to be crucified. And we would say, hey, listen, I know that I'm also guilty of part of this. I, the Jewish people, that, I may not be Jewish, but I'm obviously Gentile. And the Romans, they represent me. I'm, I'm there because of my sin. I, I get that. But there's another person that maybe you're not aware of that's actually a part of this. And that's where it gets really, really tough. The prophet Isaiah, some 600 plus years before Christ, would say these words. Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will. The apostles will say it was according to the foreknowledge of God. It was His plan. It's not only the Jews and the Romans are all too willing to carry it out. It's not that our, our sins don't bring this about. Yes, but I want you to see, and you say, Blake, why, why all this? Bring this together for me. Because I want you to know that when you come to Acts 17 and you hear Paul saying that God has fixed the day in which He will judge the world in righteousness, I want you to realize and you think, Blake, would God really do that? Would a loving God ever judge anyone? My one piece of evidence is this. The sinless Son of God, when He became sin, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, even He was judged. Now, it wasn't for His own sin, it was for yours that you could be pardoned. He experienced that, that you could be spared. But if you've ever wondered, would God truly judge someone, Blake? Then you look to the cross and realize that when the Son became your sin, the Father brought the judgment. Why? Because in His love, He wants to spare you. His grace would cover your sins. His kindness would overwhelm your soul. His love would lead you toward repentance. It is the work of God. That's Paul is saying all these things. And so fourthly, I want to bring it to you. I know time's coming. The resurrection guarantees this. There's only one man who can save you. The resurrection of Christ this morning guarantees that there's only one person that can save you. Look what Paul says again. He says the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because God's fixed the day in which He's going to judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance. Alright, so that of this is indicating this judgment. Alright, so why is God going to do this? How do we know it? He says this is the assurance that God's going to do this. He says it's when He raised His Son from the dead. Maybe you're here today and you say, Blake, I don't believe it. It's great. Sounds like fairy tales to me. Maybe you got your Bible. That's good for you if you need it. But I'm not really on board with any of that. 
Maybe this morning you might even define yourself as an atheist. You just don't believe there's any God. You don't believe any of this is true. You just think it's all made up. It's for weak-willed people that need it. So maybe I'd ask you a question. Imagine that inside this oval is like all knowledge in the universe. Okay? All knowledge in the universe is contained inside this oval. Now imagine whoever the smartest person you know is, right? Well, I don't know who you think that is. Bill Nye, the science guy. I don't know if you know it's Darwin. I don't know um, if you think it's Hawkins. I don't know who you are, Dawkins. I don't know who you think it may be. But uh, listen, imagine the smartest person that you think that you know. Can you imagine, just for a moment, this is all knowledge in the universe. Would that be fair, maybe, to represent their knowledge? I mean, that, that would be pretty, that would be a pretty astronomical Knowledge, right? If they had that much knowledge, a comparative to what's in the universe. So if that's the case, all right. So we just we admit, say, listen, they've got that much knowledge. Then can they say with absolute certainty that they know there is no God? Can't say with absolute certainty. Why? Because with absolute certainty, you would have to contain all of this knowledge. You'd have to have all knowledge. In fact, science tells us so many times we see it unfold, right? I mean, they find things out later through um, artifacts or different discoveries or digs. They realize, hey, listen, what we thought once back in the past actually isn't right because this new, this new evidence, this new material now points to say, listen, it contradicts what we once believed. So maybe this morning you just be willing to say, hey, listen, okay, maybe. Maybe since I don't have all knowledge that I can't know for sure. So maybe not, I'm not an atheist. Maybe more, I'm, maybe you might define me as agnostic, the great question mark. Guess what? You're amongst good company. The smartest people in Paul's day there in Acts 17, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, these Areopagus, elite of elite people. Paul says to these guys, hey, listen, I can see you guys are very religious, but in fact, you all even have an idol to an unknown God. Why? Because these folks, as smart as they were, they were willing to acknowledge we don't know everything. We may have missed someone. And Paul says, I want you guys to know that you've not missed a God. You've missed the God. You have missed the resurrected one. The one that's going to judge you. The one that can free you. The one that can give you hope. And so listen to what happens as Paul finishes. He says, listen, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some folks mock. That's a response. Mock it. Others said, hey, listen, they said this second response. Hey, we're going to hear you again, all right? So we're going to hear you again. But then there's a third. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and they believed. Believes. Some things that we know just really quickly here as we close about what they do, they believe. There's an inward believing. These folks have believed, heard the gospel. They said, listen, if, there's, if God's actually going to judge the world, and I, I, I'm not ready for that, I know there's only one thing that can pardon me. It's Jesus Christ's death for me on the cross. I know that my only hope to live with God forever is Christ and not me. He has covered me no matter all that I've done, no matter where I've been, who I've been with, the things I've done. God is willing to forgive me. His grace covers me. That's the best news that you and I will ever hear. That news changed my life, brothers and sisters. That news transformed my life. So Paul says, listen, there are some who heard this good news and they believed it. He said, listen, there was not only an inward belief, there was also an outward. Why? Because look what it says. He says they joined him. You know what's interesting about those that joined him? Is this guy named Dionysius. And it says he is a part of the Areopagus. He's an Areopagus. You know what that means? He's a pretty smart dude. This guy hears all of this, and while his buddies and his friends most likely are mocking, and soon afterward that's going to be him, 
He hears this and he believes and he has such conviction that this is the truth. He actually joins Paul. Some of you, it's time. There's an inward belief, but you've never made it public. Today is a time when you come and acknowledge that you want to be united with Jesus Christ who was crucified, buried, and raised again. But not only that, not only is there elite people that are drawn to Christ and believe, despite their great education and insight and intellectual IQ, look who else we have. A woman named Damaris or Damaris. I don't know if you know much about the culture in that day and time, but women weren't looked highly upon. They were often overlooked and forgotten, but some guy named Jesus walks on the scene and he just keeps loving on them. He keeps telling them they matter. And the gospel comes and it comes forth. And here's someone that maybe you're here today and you feel like you you don't matter or that, man, why would God ever want somebody like me? I mean, I don't have anything to bring. I don't feel like... Even this lady heard the gospel and believed and joined. This morning, hearing the gospel, are you prepared for the judgment of God? The resurrection tells you and I that it will take place and there's only one hope to spare you and I from it. It is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. His death in your place that you could be forgiven before God, that you could have peace today. Do you know that? Do you want that? Forgiven? Free? It's the hope of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, just as we studied Your Word this morning there in Sunday school, that upon Peter's profession that You are the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father who is in heaven. So Lord, I realize that right now, even though the preaching of the Gospel has gone forth, Lord, I have not the power to convince nor convict anyone. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, I pray right now, even the foolishness of what I preach and even how I preach, that you would go forth and that you would speak to hearts, that you would bring forth light in the darkness, that you would remove blinded eyes, that you would rip open hardened hearts, that they would hear this gospel, Lord, that people would hear, God, oh, Lord, that they would put their faith and trust and they would say, respond today to the gospel. I believe on Jesus Christ. I confess him as my Lord and Savior, my only hope, my only pardon of sin. Oh, God, let them know today that you receive Great sinners, no one here is too dirty or too far gone. Thank you, Lord, that you would cover someone like me, Father. Oh, God, let them know today that you love them, that your grace covers them. Don't let them cover their shame and bondage. Don't let them take it with them, Lord. Please, God, I beg it of you that they would come to Christ and say, I want freedom from these chains. I don't want to carry this shame anymore, this disgrace I feel. Oh, Lord, let them know that Christ already took their shame on the cross. He was naked and beaten. He was spit and mocked upon. He was separated from you that they would never have to. God, that's the only hope that any of us have. It's Jesus. Father, cause each eye, each heart today just to burn for Jesus, just to look to Him. I trust this to Your Word and to the power of Your Spirit, Father. In the name of Christ, I do pray. Amen. This morning as we sing, I would love to pray with you, to talk with you, to... Maybe you want to discuss it more. Maybe you're just starting to investigate some of this and you say, hey, I want to ask you some more questions. We'd love to. Is God calling you? Have you made it public? Maybe there's been an inward belief, but there's been no outward of joining with Christ. 
If God's calling you this morning, would you respond? Would you stand with us this morning? Sing, respond to the gospel.
statement there. That in my sin, yes, even then, Jesus died for me. That changed everything for me, guys. Everything. It's not simply that you and I have heard the gospel. Most of you probably know something about the Bible. You realize that you've offended God. We get that. And the temptation is to run. But here's the good news of the gospel. God knew all that. He knew that you and I would do it. And He still sent His Son. In the midst of your sin, God loves you. In the midst of your sin, when you didn't want to come, God's coming to you. That's the good news of the gospel. So I don't know whether you're a non-believer and God's just drawing you today. Or maybe you're a Christian and you just feel dirty and ashamed. The cross took that away. It is not yours to carry anymore. Confess it and find freedom. You are free. You are clean. White as snow because of what Christ has done.